Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. This week, the headlines have been focusing on apologising and forgiveness. First of all, the Prime Minister ignored calls to apologise to the Archbishop of Canterbury following comments that he made in a meeting with backbenchers over the plan to send refugees to Rwanda. During Prime Minister's question time, opposition leader Sir Keir Starmer urged Boris Johnson to apologise to the church leader, the Most Reverend Justin Welby. The quarrel began after Archbishop Welby accused the government of subcontracting our responsibilities during his Easter Sunday sermon. And then, of course, there's Partygate, the drinks gathering that Boris Johnson and senior members of his government attended during lockdown in June 2020. This week, the Prime Minister gave a seven-minute speech which included several moments where he repeated apologies, following him being issued a fixed penalty notice. Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby in their Today programme held a phone-in on the subject of forgiveness, and various MPs have weighed in, some saying we should forgive and move on, others saying that they will never, ever forgive Mr Johnson. Now, I realise that this is a deeply polarising and sensitive issue. On the one hand, there are those who believe that we should forgive and forget, especially with the Ukraine crisis, and others who say that because of the possibility that the PM has misled Parliament, and more importantly, not paid attention to the rules that he set, while others were not allowed to be with loved ones who were sick or dying, that now he should go. And we could spend hours debating this, but I do want to broadly ponder the subject of forgiveness. Now, let me be really clear as we talk about this. I'm not making a statement for or against Mr. Johnson, but as ever, as the shouting continues, we need to allow ourselves to be challenged. I've been asking myself if I need to make sure that I am walking in forgiveness towards others, or is my life cluttered with unresolved anger and bitterness? Let's face it, we all get hurt, it's part of life, but the toxic power of bitterness can destroy us. The first person to gain from forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving, and the first person injured by the refusal to forgive is the person who was wronged in the first place. So tonight on Lucas on Life, we're considering, as followers of Jesus, we've been wonderfully forgiven. So are we passing forgiveness around? We're talking tonight in the wake of Partygate about forgiveness. Again, not making political judgments about the situation, but considering the challenge, are we as followers of Jesus walking in forgiveness? Here's what Colossians 3 says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The opposite of forgiveness, surely, is bitterness. And one of the reasons that we live bitter lives is that forgiveness can be so very difficult. Elizabeth O'Connor said, despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily, nor do we find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. Well, perhaps that's the experience that you find yourself walking in. C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. 
So let's think about bitterness for a moment. When we're bitter, we become simmering people who live close to our skin, just ready to ignite in anger. Just yesterday in a petrol station, I witnessed the police being called, two people arguing vehemently, almost to the point of violence, about who was first in the queue. Bitterness makes us rush to anger, and it can be very toxic to our relationships. Claude Landsman's documentary about the Warsaw Uprising against the Nazis, it's called Shoah, he said, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. Hebrews 12.15 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And bitterness can affect our health. Sometimes we say of others, they're a real pain in the neck, and that can happen to us. Bitterness can cause all kinds of physical reactions, creating stress where our muscles tighten, and there's pain in our back or neck and limbs, and blood flow to the joint surfaces are decreased, making it more difficult for the blood to remove waste from the tissues, and normal processes of repair in our body can be hindered. We're stressed, we clench our jaws, we sleep and we clench our jaws, we create headaches and chronic pain may be worsened, and the list can just go on. Digestion impaired, breathing restricted. You see, here's the point. Bitterness, it's bitter. Forgiveness, it's basic to us as followers of Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, we're told to ask for forgiveness as we forgive others. When we forgive, we actually take control. The late Bishop Desmond Tutu said, to forgive is not just to be altruistic, it's the best form of self-interest. It's also a process that does not exclude hatred and anger. You should never hate yourself for hating others who do terrible things. The depth of your love is shown by the extent of your anger. When we talk of forgiveness, we mean the belief that we can come out of the other side of our anger a better person, a better person than the one being consumed by anger and hatred. When we forgive, we are refusing to be chained to the one who has sinned against us. We're not waiting around for them. We are taking action. Also, when we forgive, we're not excusing someone and saying that what they did to us is really not important. And we're perhaps not even trying to forget what's been done to us. Forgiveness can't be reduced to an emotion. In a sense, it's a cold choice. Paul Tillich says that forgiveness is remembering the past so that it might be forgotten. Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross, was reminded by a friend of something that was done to her many years earlier, an act that was especially cruel. Don't you remember it, her friend said. No, Clara replied, I distinctly remember forgetting it. And also, forgiveness doesn't always lead to reconciliation. That may not be possible, and it may not be advisable. Forgiving someone and trusting them again are different. Let's realize that forgiveness is a journey that we can take with God's help. It's not just a momentary decision, it's a process. 
We've been talking tonight about bitterness and the process, the journey of forgiveness. I think as a church leader, one of the worst things that we leaders can do is rush people to forgive. Just come to the front now for prayer and forgive that person who has hurt you instantly. I think that that can cause more damage than healing. It is inappropriate for us to rush people on the journey that God wants them to take with him. He gently leads us forward. But a few years ago, for me, finding myself in a journey where I needed to reject bitterness and learn to forgive, I found myself in a forgiveness academy when I went to see my local optician. Visiting the optician is more fun than going to the dentist, but only just. With the optician, I don't have to look into the wildly staring eyes of a masked man whose mission in life is to shove 40 pounds of stainless steel equipment into my mouth. But there are still bits of the annual eye test that I don't enjoy. For one thing, these days they shoot you in the eyes. Twice. Now, admittedly, it's only a puff of air fired at high speed, but I still have to place my chin on what looks like an instrument of high-tech torture for the shooting. No one likes this part, smiles the optician, as if this is supposed to make me feel better. It's painless enough, but it always makes me jump. Asking for a piece of wood to chew on during the test seems rather pathetic. But I do like the part that follows the shooting, choosing new glasses. If I had the cash, I could be to specs what Imelda Marcos used to be to shoes. So it was with mixed feelings that I went to the opticians, and there was no sign on the door that warned me that my day, and in a way my life, was about to change. Junction moments don't come with advance notice. To be clear, I'd found myself in a situation where I was hurt by comments that had been made about me, very public comments, by a fellow Christian leader. I was angry, bitter, and frankly, I could preach about forgiveness. I just didn't want to do it. My visit to the opticians changed all that. I started to chat with Gary, the store manager. He sported a broad, genuine smile and made conversation that went beyond slick sales patter. Inwardly, I made a note to myself. This man is very likable. Talking with him was a pleasure. Our nattering away about optic fields of vision and design of frames gradually dried up. I asked him how he got into the eyesight business. He paused for a moment, seemingly weighing up whether or not to get into his own story. Married with two adult sons, Gary had been a high school teacher and a sports coach. His eldest son, also his best friend, was a keen cyclist. An oncoming driver had fallen asleep at the wheel and ploughed into his son, killing him instantly. Gary had abandoned his teaching career and relocated to Colorado with his wife to be with his younger son. He'd taken a job in an optician's clinic. This was impressive parenting. But there was much more to come as our conversation unfolded. Gary went on to tell me how he'd gone to the trial of that slumbering driver, a young man who was about the same age as his dead son. Gary pleaded with leniency with the judge. Everyone makes mistakes, Gary said. No drugs or alcohol were involved. Ruining that young driver's life wouldn't bring his son back. The judge, stunned, had been lenient. But then, Gary told me how he and his wife had befriended the driver. 
Not only had they forgiven him, but the two families had become close. And now he talked with obvious pride about the man who killed his beloved boy. He's going into the Air Force and training to be a pilot, he beamed, genuinely delighted. I struggled unsuccessfully to keep tears back. I wanted to know his secret. How does someone forgive so magnificently? It's my faith, he smiled. Gary is a Christian. Without any threat or clumsiness, he asked me if I was a follower of Jesus too. Grace shone through, not just in the details of Gary's story, but also in the way that he told his story. There was no overplay, no sensationalism, just a matter-of-fact miracle. And he didn't attempt to gloss over the pain. I still cry every day, he smiled, blinking rapidly, perhaps preventing more weeping. Heroes make hard choices. They cry, but they refuse to allow their tears to blind them. They refuse to stop loving. They don't give up on giving, and they won't let their lives be preoccupied with their own pain. They won't languish in that bitterness that we talked about earlier. And in giving grace, they seem to find an endless supply of it. The oil doesn't run dry. So thanks, Gary. I met you because I needed a shot in the eyes and some new lenses. But since bumping into you and hearing about your heart of forgiveness, I see things and life much more clearly now. Perhaps you've been affected by some of the issues that I've been talking about tonight. I'd like you to know that the Premier Lifeline is available from 9am till midnight every day. And the number to call is 0300-111-01. That's 0300-111-01. As ever, thanks so much for joining me and I'll see you next week. Lucas on Life. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.